0: Congratulations, Mike Evans. Who can forget? Look Gannon looking, Gannon throws up the middle. That's That's 30. Brody. Derrick Brooks, 30. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Derek Brooks, the most valuable player in the National Football League. There it is. The dagger's in. We're gonna win the Super Bowl. Here's the snap. Mahomes running to his right. Look out! He may run. Mahomes directly. Right oh, toward the end zone. Batted. intercepted. Picked off at the end zone. Bucks are gonna beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world, and we still have a minute 33 to go. Devin White. What a great second season. That's it for KC. Bucks are the Super Bowl champs. They can't stop the clock. We
1: call them the Salty Dogs. Welcome to a special episode of the Salty Dogs podcast. I'm Scott Smith. And I am Jeff Ryan. And we are the Salty Dogs. We are. But today we have with us an honorary dog. And while we usually do the interview segment in the middle, we had to start with it today because we can't bury the lead because our special guest is (laughs) Pro Football Hall of Famer, Rondé Barber, Ronnie, thanks for joining us. And how do those words words sound to you, man?
2: They uh, they never get old. Um, <laughs> no matter how salty and old I get, they'll never get old. <laughs> it's good. It's good to I, be I salty. will I will agree. Uh, I am definitely a dog. I am yeah. I am I am made of the same <laughs> ilk as y'all too. So
3: <laughs> I like it.
2: I
1: think your your playing career would demonstrate you you played like a dog. I would say so.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the uncommon things that I did uh are all uh secondary to the the toughness that i uh that i kind of played with i I think that's ultimately what designated me as a hall of famer i I think ira has mentioned it many times but people couldn't get over not missing a game in 15 years i mean i think that's pretty significant So, so i appreciate you guys pointing it out
1: and never and never missing one due to injury
2: no a college my my redshirt freshman year, the really? only game I ever missed because of injury was my uh, my uh uh the uh, what was it the Poland Weed eater Independence Bowl, <laughs> in Louisiana. It's the only game I ever missed because wow. of injury.
1: Um, <laughs> would you yeah? Well, before you go along on those lines, I was going to get to that yeah. later, but since we're starting up at the top with it, is it true that you just like you just basically refused to even go in the training
2: room most of the time? I mean, Todd Torcelli would let me in there to you know get a bag of ice or something, but. Um, no, I didn't go in there. I, I, and not for any other reason other than I didn't want to be on the injury report, even when I was hurt. So, um, there were, there were times when I was, I was beat up. I mean, I had a high ankle sprain when, when, uh, uh, early in my career, uh, and I had to get treatment on that, but that was before the, uh, the league mandated you put everybody on, on the, uh, on the injury report. So I think as the, my career continued to go on, I, if I had any kind of Nick or, slight strain. Uh I didn't want anybody to know about it. And uh Gruden was okay with it. Todd Purcelli was okay with it, so <laughs> I just I treated myself.
3: Would would you say that's your biggest accomplishment out of your career is your endurance?
2: Uh yeah. Um yeah, because people don't miss games uh like uh like that. I mean, it's it's very rare I think today and this is not a, a slight on anybody playing now, but there's so much more uh, in, involved in in playing every single day. There's a lot more money on the line. Uh, there's a lot, you know, other circumstances that, um, you know, I didn't see benefited me if somebody else played. I mean, obviously, I mean, you know this, Jeff and Scott, you were here when I uh, when I I got my opportunity to play is because the guy in front of me got hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I never wanted to be that guy. And as I got later in my career, that just became obsessive. And uh, it's uh, there's a reason. I mean, Derek was the same way, right? Derek never missed a game, never missed many practices. Um, um, so I, I learned from the guys ahead of me uh, how to be a tough guy, basically.
1: You said uh, we, we got to see you last week at the Ballspar Championship Media Day. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing you finding out about being voted in the Hall of Fame. And you said the, the word you, you, you used was finally. And I know you have said You say that because you always believed you were going to end up in the Hall of Fame, even if it took a few more years than we all would have liked. But did you believe that from like day one after your retirement? Or is it something that sort of built as you thought about it, as you heard your case being made, that kind of thing?
2: No, I would say um, at the end, uh, even that last year that wasn't very fun, uh, Mm -hmm. that I knew that um, what I had done was unique. Yeah, very unique. Um, I really, I mean, I looked at it as uh, maybe right or wrong or, or different doesn't matter. But uh, in my mind, I only had one peer, and that was Charles Woodson. Um, he was the only guy that that I played with or around my era that had similar stats. So, and everybody knew that he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, which of course he ultimately was uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so when I was done, I knew um, it was just about making the argument and getting everybody else to believe it. Uh, I mean, six years on, well, I guess 11 years, five years wait, but six years on after originally being um, eligible, I think there were still people and voters uh, and maybe outside people too, um, who really didn't know what I had accomplished. And uh, that is in itself a little bit of a a travesty, but reality is when you put it all on paper and get in front of it it's it's it to me it was inevitable um so I'm, I'm glad i'm here it's unbelievable of course to be in the hall of fame being one of th- 371 guys that uh uh that that have that designation um but at the same time it was completely believable for me I, I know what i did and you guys know what i did so uh it was just a matter of them getting it right and they finally did for me
3: when uh, when you talk about being overshadowed, you made a comment that you were somewhat overshadowed by your your brother Tiki because he played with the New York Giants running sure. back. He actually got to come to a Super Bowl here in Tampa, which you know, when at that time we used to if you remember Ronde, we did a, I had a sports radio station, and we used to always mm-hmm. go Tiki who
1: because
3: yeah. we were a big <laughs> we're a big fan of yours. But um, you know, you talk about him overshadowing you. Do you think perhaps maybe, Brooks, Sapp, and Lynch also somewhat overshadowed you. Would, yeah. would is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, I mean that's fair. Um, uh, as evidenced by them uh, being Hall of Famers, right? It, it, it's not as if they didn't deserve to overshadow me. Right. Um, they were they were the vets when I got here. They were much more tenured. In John's case, you know, uh, Brooks and Sapp were just a couple years older than me. Um, but I, I've been I I firmly believe that Brooks and and sap and you put them on any team in the nfl they're hall of famers they're just they're that type of player john and i are more similar in that you know we had to come a ways to get there and had to earn our respect and certainly john had that with his what how many pro bowls did he have 12 pro bowls in, in his 15 years or something i think it's uh, nine yeah not not was a nine whatever it was it, he had lot. yeah he had uh uh unfettered uh respect not only in the nfc but in the afc when he went to the denver broncos he continued that streak of pro bowls so you know that that screams hall of fame um so his presence uh brooks's presence saps presence yeah i mean it's easy to say that you know ronnie barber wasn't as important as those guys but the reality is i was and they'll say that i was it's it's, it's, there's no way to to discount you know what what i did on the football field uh, just like there's no way to discount what they did on the football field but i look at it this way i you know i'd say i played 16 years 15 years I, i played six 16 years in the league i was only a captain for half of those you know, I had to wait for uh for, yeah. for Lynch to leave before I was even a captain on this sp- <laughs> on the football team, right? So um if uh, if there, if there's any, any any indication of how overshadowed I was, it's probably that. I've been here a I was there a long time and uh I was underneath those uh those guys' leadership for, for very much of my career.
3: Being about- a, is it well, I just he just made a comment about being a captain. Is that a big deal? I mean
2: Yeah, sure. Is it? I mean okay. I was never Think about it this way. I was never a captain in college because uh, I was uh, redshirted and then I left a year early. So I never got that designation. I guess I was a captain in high school. I don't even remember. I don't even know how that worked <laughs> back then. Um, but, yeah, it's important to have that C on your chest and, you know, to to have the uh, I guess the uh, the expectations of the the entire team following you to disseminate to your Younger guys, and it's it's an important designation, man. It's I don't know a lot of guys that wouldn't want to be one, um, and it's always an honor when you when you were chosen.
1: You talk about when you put all the accomplishments on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. it, it became pretty obvious. And believe me, I did that many times. I made that piece <laughs> I read, of paper. I read those. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I would always say that you checked every box. You know, there's the 40-25 thing, the 14 non-offensive touchdowns, all the tackles, which is incredible for a cornerback, et cetera, et cetera. But another thing was you had a play that, like a signature play, that's maybe the biggest moment in this franchise history or the biggest play, and one that everybody remembers, whether they're Bucks fans or not. So obviously I'm talking about the the pick six to seal the NFC Championship game, which I'm guessing, you can tell me if I'm wrong, you would rank as your top play ever. So if that's the case, what's your like second favorite play of your career?
2: Oh god, there's a lot of them. Um, or it's 2 through
1: yeah, 5 or something. Yeah, yeah,
2: 2 through yeah. Um uh, I don't know. My first interception for a touchdown, I'll, I'll, I I in no particular order. My first uh, professional touchdown uh was was pretty pretty cool to me and it was on a it was on a block punt. You know, cool. I don't know if you guys remember. It was in well, Chicago. I, I think it was 1999. Joe Marciano was a special teams coach and I'm out there and I hear the thud and turn around and there's the ball. And I, I literally hadn't scored since high school. I don't even know if I scored in high school, to be honest with you. Uh I think Tiki did all the scoring in high school. But I hadn't scored a touchdown who knows how long. And uh, pick it up and weave my way into the end zone. And uh, it, it was a feeling that I can't even describe because I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. But it was really kind of uh, – a precursor to how the ball always found me. And, and for the rest of my career, I mean, I, you scored 14, you said 14 non-offensive touchdowns, only seven of them, eight of them were interceptions, right. Uh, including the the NFC championship game, I believe. Um,
1: well, that's 15 but, if you count that one.
2: Oh, there, well, there you go. So you, yes. you got these numbers better than <laughs> I do. But the, yeah. my, my point is I scored a bunch of them on uh, fumble returns and that those balls don't just, arbitrarily come to you. you got to kind of be in the right place at the right time and you know have a wherewithal to pick it up and scoop and score or whatever um but i did it at an unprecedented rate <laughs> yeah so, a little bit that, of trivia a little that, bit of yeah. trivia on that one yeah it was
1: actually technically a punt return
2: yes that cause... one was a punt return right <laughs> and then the other one in the creamsicle against i can't remember who that was that was a punt block for for a touchdown green bay uh, i think yeah it was green bay um so that that moment um was definitely one of them um uh the interception I had in Detroit, um, the year we drafted key, But I think I've mentioned this story a few times here uh in the past couple of weeks, uh, that I had two interceptions that game, one for a touchdown. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the week before that, I was gonna be benched for a keep. And at the end of the week, Monty couldn't do it. He changed his mind. Akeem <laughs> didn't want to take my job at that point, uh, but uh it was a signature moment. I, I was telling somebody the other day that was year God, what year would that have been for me? That would have been year 12 for me. And after that play, I started four more, after that game, I started four more years in the NFL. Wow. And so I, I talk about the springboard towards the latter part of my career. Everybody talks about what happened at the beginning of their career. Well, I played 16 years, likely because of that football game um, <laughs> um, and kind of proving myself to myself and to the guys here that are on the, in, in the Bucks organization that I still had it. And, uh, you know, the rest is the rest is history. I accumulated a lot more stats in those subsequent years. So uh, that one that one's up there, Scott. And I mean, I the two interceptions against Philly, that game was awesome. You
1: right? mean the, 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 the game? Matt
2: Bryant. Yeah. There was um, uh, there, there, the, the one play that always stands out in my mind. It's not a good one either. It was I remember because I had never really been hurt. And you guys know this. I'd never really been hurt. We play in Detroit and I'm covering uh their wide receiver and I go up and, and I thought I'd tear my knee up right it, it, this was a, this was a mental tough moment for me where I thought I was hurt and I did not want to be hurt. so I refused to let it affect me and I continued to play and that, obviously that messed up my knee for the rest of my life. But whatever. we yeah. won a Super Bowl that year. <laughs> um, but it, 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 at the end of the day it's a it's a, it's a significant moment in my in my yeah. career. Just being able to overcome something as significant as that, and I was—I was only 26 years old when that happened. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, six years in, and I, I played a long time with that with that injury. And I'll—I'll I'll never forget that moment, thinking, "Oh man, this could all go away," uh, and and then I—I I found a way to force my will through it, and here I am.
1: Well, I'll throw one out there—the one that always comes to mind to me, and I think it was against Green Bay, but I can't remember if it was Favre or Rogers. It was. Yeah, the club falling. on one hand. <laughs> yes. Because I guess yeah. you had fractured somewhere in there. I did. Still playing, of course. You had I cl- I don't remember which hand. I'm sure you do. You had a club on one hand, and you made a like a sliding interception across the middle with your other arm.
2: All right, all right. Ca- it was. I had a, th- a, a cast on uh, a splint, kind of half cast on this thumb, and I caught a ball coming going to my left yeah. with my right arm right it was crazy interception
1: was that far um, or rogers i can't remember
2: it was it was far it was far it was uh thanksgiving weekend i believe it was, oh. uh, it was a <laughs> night game um but yeah that was that was a good one because that, that week i remember they were telling me i was going to be out a couple of weeks it was actually that same year same year that i messed up my knee oh. uh, it was a couple of weeks later uh and they told me i was going to be out a couple of weeks and that was the no, you got a couple of days. <laughs> I'm gonna practice on Wednesday. And I'm gonna play on Sunday, and I did, and had yeah. that interception on on Brett.
3: You um, you played under Tony Dungy, John Gruden, Raheem Morris, Greg Schiano. Mm-hmm. What is your takeaway from each one of those? Oh man, coaches!
2: You're gonna make me go deep in them in the recess yeah, here I'm on like, this one. Um, look, Tony is the. It's it's impossible to, to to describe what it's like to play under Tony because Tony's such a humble leader uh, and just a a guy you didn't want to disappoint. Um, um, I, I I would say him my biggest takeaway from him is that he he put an expectation level on your on you on me every other player on the team uh, and he did it without having to force you to do it. You he made you want to be a better version of yourself or the best version of yourself. Uh, I could say, uh, John, uh, I loved his energy. Um, and he was never really my coach. You know, we had a coach on offense which was John we had a coach on defense, which was Monty. but his energy was in, impossible to replicate. I've never been around a coach with that kind of genuine, like enthusiasm for what he was doing. Uh, and that, of course, that, that rubbed off on us as a football team. We won a Super Bowl that year for a reason. Um, uh, again, he put expectations on us, but it was in a totally different way than than Tony did. Um, but I I used to love t- uh, John's pregame speeches. I, I I hardly remember what he said, but you just you just felt him transferring the energy to his team. Uh and I think that's a reason why he was successful here. Um uh Raheen, oh, he, obviously he's you know most fun ever. Yeah, he's there's there's not no a better way to say it than that. Uh it, it wasn't great. Three years, but one year was really, really good. And it was really, really fun the entire time. Raheem was young, man. And you know, his energy was unlike John's in that it was uh like vibrant, you know, it was, you know, kind of a learning experience for everybody. Um, but I will say that Raheem, what, what I take away from him is his his attention to detail. Uh, it didn't translate to, to wins and losses for us, but for me, uh, because I had him personally as a as a secondary coach, I knew what his detail meant. And uh he innovated things on defense for us for for those couple of years that we wouldn't even try before. Um, and we we and we did it with with some young talent. So um that, that's what I got from him. Shiano, I mean, I, there's a lot of good and bad things that went on in that in that two-year regime with Shiano, but I will say this. I learned more about football and probably because I was hearing it from a different, uh, uh prism than all my other years under that Tony, um, Monty Raheem kind of, uh, uh, um, uh, lineage of, of, of teachers to hear it from, in a different way from Shiano. I, I, I have notes still that I took in his, some of his meetings that I for st- stuff that I had never heard, uh, come out of a head coach's mouth, but, um he had his quirks and he was my last coach, but uh I did come away with a little bit better understanding of football, just maybe just because I've heard it differently, but I I appreciate what he what he gave me. And he moved me to safety. The only thing I don't like about him is he didn't allow me to get two more sacks, but I got two more sacks and I'm in the <laughs> and I'm in a 40-30 club and nobody can mess with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you need three more picks too, because 50-30 would be pretty small. Yeah, well that's all right. Um I, I told you we were gonna. We were going to ask for ten minutes of your time, and we're well past that already. So apologies there, but it's just a lot of fun talking to you. So it, I just got one more question for you, if it's okay. Okay. Uh, what is it like? Scott's
3: in a hurry to get rid of you. Me, I just said you could. do <laughs> I the promise whole a guy
1: we're going to have a certain amount of time. Right. I don't want to break my it, promises. It's RB. Go. Yeah, soccer doesn't start for another twenty minutes. He's good. Uh, <laughs> what is it like? I heard you say you were fitted for your bronze bust. What is that process
2: like? Oh man, that that was cool. So there's a there's a guy who's been doing it. I think there's only been two guys to fit uh, to do the actual measurements of the, of the bus. And this guy, he's probably 60 years. I wish I knew his name. I should know this. I don't remember. Um, But yeah, you sit down in front of him, he starts talking to you and it's like, he's having a casual conversation. He's not even talking about the bus or anything else. And uh, he's just trying to get a feel for your personality, I think, and what kind of expression he's going to give you. Mm. And so it's not just you know the actual measurements writing numbers down it's it's more like a um i don't know like a, like a, like a soft interview uh, hmm. to to get a feel for your personality a little bit at least that's what i took away from it but then he has these two sheets and He's got the the little measuring thing with the the slide. Calipers yeah. or whatever. Yeah, whatever that thing is. And he does it everywhere, you know, every little thing, you know, mouth why, you know, what your neck looks like. And uh, and then he has a guy that's writing down these these measurements and it's actually pretty cool. I got some I got some pretty fun pictures from it. Uh but then I have to go out to Utah to see him in his studio, and then he'll come here uh to do the final, final bits of it after uh after the initial initial is set. But uh, sizing Saturday at the uh, Super Bowl <laughs> is is a is a pretty interesting and surreal kind of day. Jacket ring, uh, you only you get a couple of minutes uh, to speak in front of your just your class and their families. Um, it was um, it it was pretty special.
3: How was that uh, in your class being able to interact with with uh, with your fellow uh, HOFers?
2: Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, have a good way to put it. Right. Um, these uh, my classes and the, the modern candidates because those are the ones that I've I played against and you know, we're on Pro Bowls with some of them. Um, it's a fantastic class, right? You got Darrell Rebus, who is uh, another corner, There's actually, three corners going in if you in, in, uh, include Ken Riley uh, out of the senior committee. So, three corners go in, but me and Darrell. Um, you know, we were different types of players, which is, which led to some really cool conversations that weekend. Uh, and I'm sure even more so, um, because I, I studied Darrell when he was, was playing. I wanted to learn how to be as good as him on the line of scrimmage, be that bump man corner. Of course, I was never that good at it. He's, he's, he's first out hall of famer for that reason. Uh, so picking his brain was awesome. Um, Joe Thomas, everybody has so much respect for him. Uh, he doesn't look like an offensive lineman anymore. He looks like a, a volleyball player or something. <laughs> a small forward in basketball. He's lost so much weight, but he was the prototype, really, uh, of my era of left tackles, even though he didn't play on a good team. Um, so hearing his stories are, are also unique. And he's got a big personality, man. He's quiet, but when he starts talking, like, he's he's got some something about him. Uh, and, of course, DeMarcus Ware, everybody knows. He's, he probably could have gone in first bout last year. He gets in this year because he was one of the most dominant players of, of his era, uh, uh, playing in, 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 um, in, in Dallas and then in, in in Denver, where he won a Super Bowl. Uh, Zach Thomas is very similar to me in, in a regard. And, and, and this is, you know, take it how you want it. But Zach and I are probably the two least likely Hall of Famers uh in in the past couple of years because of our having to overcome people's expectations of us or, and what they thought we would be and Zach will even tell you which was this was an awesome story he said he said all i wanted to do was come in and make special teams i was an undersized 5'11, 5'10, whatever he is linebacker out of texas tech and he said jimmy johnson one time one day in training camp um and we must have been uh uh, is he older than me i think he's i think he's a year older two years older than me so i didn't get to see this but he said jimmy johnson came up to him and said uh they had a starting linebacker there a guy who was older he's like we're gonna cut him you're starting and he was like like day one you're starting day one in the nfl and he's like jimmy johnson empowered him to be the guy that he ended up being but he didn't have those expectations of himself when he got there so um there'll be all these all hall of fame type stories to tell um it's it's just they'll they'll come out and watch as we continue to talk and talk about being part of the class of 2023 man it's pretty special
3: okay last question because i know scott wants to let you go um your brother tiki is he in a good yeah. place now is he feeling good now about all that's going oh, on yeah okay
2: yeah he's great he's uh i mean i, I got a platform now to start talking up his more talk up his candidacy. Yep. Running backs are getting short stick, man. Uh, short end of it. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure why he's, he's a 10,000, 5,000 yard uh, rusher receiver and then has a thousand yards in return yardage. Nobody in NFL history has that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's only three guys in his peer group while he was playing. And both of those guys were first ballot hall of famers and, and uh, LaDainian Tomlinson and Marshall Falk. So um, I'll, I'll be glad to share my opinions about Tiki Barber. There you the go. New York football Giants all time leading rusher. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the storied franchises in the history of this game yep. of professional football. Uh, and he doesn't get much attention for uh for his accomplishments. So yeah, he's he's doing okay. He's happy that I'm in. That's for that's for cool. that's for damn sure.
3: Well, I like what you said that since you were split from the same seed, he's going in too. Yeah, so exactly. I like that. I love yeah, that. Exactly. That's the
1: best. All right, right, Rondé, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, congrats once again. I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times, but it never
2: gets old, man. It will um, never get old. I, I, <laughs> I will stop. I can be less salty now that I'm in. I don't have to be salty anymore. I can no, be... Yeah.
1: Just keep a little bit of that. Salt.
3: <laughs> now you get to be <laughs> no, more sure. salty because you're a hall of famer. Anything you say is like, well, you know, he's a hall of famer. He's right. got to be
2: right. Yeah. Now I can do whatever I want. Appreciate well, we, we're give give at, me the license to do that. Appreciate yeah, that.
3: Well, we're looking forward to August. That's going to be that fun. Absolutely. That's, that's very special. Especially <laughs> for us that have been around a long time.
2: All right, it'll be a big party. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> oh do we know who the band's going to be yet? We're working on that.
3: Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ronda. Thanks, Rhonda. See, see ya.
1: All right. He, there we go. That was nice. Oh, I liked great. it. He's if the best. he had responded, if he had responded to me saying we've gone overtime, but I said, "Hey, don't worry about it. We can go as long as we want," then I would have kept going. Yeah, but he didn't. So I assumed he did want to get off.
3: No, he's a good guy. We got, listen, here's the thing. How often are we going to get a Hall of Famer on the Salty Dogs? <laughs> right? I think
1: that's the first one, isn't
3: it? Yeah. I think, well, yeah. Yeah. Because we haven't had Brooks, Lynch, or Sap on. we will have to work on that. Maybe during uh, closer to. Um,
1: well, we might have Hall had Tony. Famer. I think we did have, we Tony, have Tony
3: Dungy, Dungy on. Yeah. So this is number yes. two. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, all I right. In well, this, uh...
3: I, I will say this I was surprised by one thing on his takeaways from coaches. And I was most surprised on his Greg Shiano take. I was very surprised by that.
1: It was, I would have a harder time answering that question uh, in a, in a way that in, had any positivity in it. Uh-huh. Um, Me too. He made it clear that there was good and bad, but found some really some, yeah. some impressive stuff. So that's good. That's and the good. only thing,
3: the only thing I did miss is that we, I should have asked him about Monty Kiffin because Monty was a big, big part of all of this too he said that a little bit yeah. he was
1: talking about how john was one coach and monty was their coach
3: but yeah yeah, yeah that was i did like the fact that he thought raheem's years were fun because i do too <laughs> he's <laughs> gonna be a head coach again raheem morris he he's gonna be he, yeah. does. he does and he'll
1: have a better perspective on it this time around
3: yeah <laughs> right? well you know when you're 42 compared to 32 yeah i think yeah.
1: life changes
3: on you a little bit <laughs>
1: But he's gone on to a lot of success mm-hmm. since then, so that's good. You're right; he's getting his name back into the uh, conversation.
3: Right. That. So, what else we got here for this edition of the Salty Dogs?
1: Yeah, with our our kind of convoluted one, where we we do we usually do the news and stuff up front. So that's what we'll get to now. Um, oh, you know what? I forgot to ask Rondae. What I wanted to ask him what about his former playing partner Brian Kelly? You know, they were the two starting cornerbacks for a long time. Right. His son, Brian Kelly's son, which I think is pronounced Caillou Blue Kelly at uh, corner at Stanford, is like a top draft pres- prospect this year. And how old? I know how old that makes me feel. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty crazy, huh?
3: Very crazy.
1: I wanted to ask him about that because it's my opinion that Brian is one of the more underrated players in, in Bucks history. He had a long career. It was like he, 10 or 11 years. Yeah,
3: I, I agree with that. And I, he was I, good
1: pretty much the whole time. Yes. It took him a few years to get in the starting lineup because we had Rondé and Donnie Abraham and some other guys around. But once he got in the starting lineup, I mean, he led that Super Bowl team in interceptions. He was, mm-hmm. he was the leading interceptor on that team, that incredible defense. Anyway, I don't think I'm getting a lot of pushback on that. I, you know.
3: No. But. Okay. So what news do we have?
1: Well, we got all we got our coaching staff in place now.
3: Yeah, that's uh I'm pretty excited. I'm very excited.
1: It's interesting because we parted ways with nine coaches, eventually brought one of them back, Jeff Castle. Mm-hmm. So you parted coaches with ways with eight coaches, but only hired or promoted five. So That means we're leaving three positions that we had last year that we're just not going to fill this year.
3: Huh? Three more seats on
1: the airplane. (laughs) Good way to look at it. We had an offensive assistant in Rick Christofel. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible they could at some point add these, but I don't believe at the moment the plan is to add any more coaches. We had assistant D-line coach Lori Locust. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess they're just not going to have one of those now. And then you had the specialist, Chris Bonial, who worked with the kickers. Right, Um, But you still have your special teams coordinator and your assistant special teams coach. So you got plenty of coaching still for the kickers.
3: Just, just so you know, I text Ronde and said, thanks. That was fun. And he replied back always buddy. That's cool. See, there you go.
1: So the new coaches, obviously we start with the offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. Um, Loved his press conference. Yeah. He's got a lot of energy. Um, He's got a way with words which will be good when he's trying mm-hmm. to, you know, you know, get a, a group of men together right? in a new offense. Um, you know, he's, I'm excited about it because he's from that whole kind of Rams 49ers tree. Um, Sean you McVinney's know, tree. Because yep. he worked, he worked under Shane Waldron in Seattle the last few years and learned that offense. And that came from the Rams. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then he's bringing Brad Idzik to be his wide receivers coach with him, so he'll be familiar with the system. And he was raving about how Brad always was putting in extra time on the on the practice field, working with somebody uh, before and after practice. And so he's he's going to be very helpful to him in teaching this system to our players. And then you got on the defensive side, you got George Edwards, um, who had been working uh, most recently with Micah Parsons in Dallas because he was a, a senior office, offensive assistant in Dallas. He's been a defensive coordinator or co-coordinator for three different teams. He's got a ton Mm. of experience. And um, Brianna Dix, our our, uh, um, fellow Buccaneer, who is right now at the Scouting Combine, uh, got a quote from him from Micah Parsons, and it's kind of a lengthy quote, but the important part of it was Micah said that George Edwards was crucial to his development. And we know how good of a player Micah Parsons is, and he's been better than anybody even expected when he was drafted. So that's kind of exciting, too. And then the quarterback's coach is your promotion of Thad Lewis from within. And and Dave Canales was talking a lot about, um, you know, what he sees in Lewis and why he got that job. And I think everybody – Coach Bull said the same thing yesterday. I think everybody's pretty excited about what Thad can do in that position and how mm-hmm. well he knows the quarterback position. He was an NFL quarterback. So, um, you know, they're – I think they're all pretty exciting hires, personally.
3: Yeah, I I I I just like the energy level. Um, you know, you talk about, it's a little bit of the, uh, Rams, um, offense, which would, if you go way, way back, it's, it's, it's a branch out of the John Gruden offense because, um, McVay, McVay was here. Then they went to, and so was Kyle Shanahan. And then they went to Washington and they honed their skills there and each one became a head coach. And, you know, like anything else, you add your own touches and you add this and that, but I, I really like um, Dave's attitude. I, it sounds like he's going to be able to communicate with the players. Um, I think that um, you know Kyle Trask is our only quarterback on the roster as we record this, and um, you know I think they all kind of look forward to like getting a hold of someone before someone else had you. You know what I'm saying? You get to mold a guy uh, a great deal, um, and so I, I'm looking I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think. The best line he had though out of his whole press conference is uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a couple of hard knocks come my way, but it's gonna it's gonna work out. And I I like that attitude. He's he's not, you know, like oh, everything's just gonna be perfect, but uh it's certainly if you had to start off on the right foot, he did. And if he had to win, he I thought he won his press conference with the media and with people around wondering, hey, who is this guy?
1: Yeah. I think we're probably going to run the ball a little bit more. And that's not a bad thing, I guess. Right. It just, well, if we can do it successfully, obviously (laughs) he, he also said what coach Bowles always says that it's really not about balance, Mm -hmm. right. It's about whatever's working, but still, I think teams are finding that it's, it's hard to consistently succeed at offense. If you've got nothing at all going on in the rushing attack, because it gives the defense one less thing to worry about. You know, you can't, They don't have to load up the box. You get more people in coverage. If you have a more credible threat on the ground, that helps the passing attack.
3: And all the fans that were complaining because there wasn't any motion, get ready, because you're going to have to take seasickness pills because there's going to be a ton of motion with this offense. Yeah. I I thought it was interesting. He said it's a limited number of plays with a, a whole ton
1: of looks. Simple in design, but complex in execution. I think how you put it. So the point the point is that you're making is they will run a lot of the same plays, but they're not always going to look the same before the snap, or before the motion, or after the motion. So that makes it easier for the players to learn, as long as they can learn to be in the right spot. Mm -hmm. They, They don't have as many plays that they, at least at the beginning, as they that they have to learn. And then he said, you find out what how much they can handle, and then you give them just a little bit more and then once mm-hmm. they can handle that you give them a little bit more. So it'll be a developing kind of offense probably in the early days, but it was last year too to be honest with you. They sure. kept talking about that all season. So it doesn't always just perfectly fall into place like say 2021 when it was just a well well-oiled machine across the board. Um
3: I'm actually looking forward to this this season more just because there's so many unknowns. Yeah. That it it's kind of it's like a reset. You know, for us that have been with the team for a long time and getting to know people and seeing different things.
1: Uh yeah. So I, I I'm I'm total I'm optimistic on, well, we're on gonna this get, season. We're gonna we have Kyle Trask and we're gonna get a couple more quarterbacks sure. here in the building. You have to, right? Right. So um and when that happens, it sounded to me from listening to Coach and Jason Light yesterday that while they are they Jason in particular seems to feel really good about um, Kyle Trask, you know, possible future in the NFL. But when these other quarterbacks arrive, it's going to be a competition. And that'll uh, be yeah. interesting. To your point, we loved having Tom Brady, and we would have loved to have had him one more year, obviously. Sure. But you haven't had really had a quarterback competition here for a while, right? Last time maybe was like Fitz and, and Jameis, maybe? Yeah.
3: yeah. And, and then after that, I mean, even for the four years that uh, um, Jameis. Yeah. Jameis was... A, 19 and then, uh, there wasn't really a quarterback controversy in 19. In fact, everyone thought that if you know, if Jameis had performed well, he would have ended up with that huge contract, you know, yeah,
1: which he's still chasing now. But you're right, sure. going back all the way to the 2015 draft because he was immediately the starter, mm-hmm. that means it's been since at least 2014. And what was that? That was uh, Josh McCown year, right? Yeah, and I don't think there was a real competition there either. We haven't really had one of these, and maybe. As a franchise, you'd rather know who your quarterback is and know that he's awesome, but that's not always the case unless you're Green Bay and you luck into Farver Rogers for 30 years. But uh, most teams at some point have to go through this. And while it's not necessarily exactly where you want to be, it is still kind of interesting. Well, yeah, that and, you know, Patrick
3: Mahomes was in Patrick Mahomes when he got drafted. Number of teams passed him by during the draft. You know, Tom Brady, the, Tom Brady the same thing, right? Uh you look at uh, Purdy for San Francisco, right? I mean, I'm sure they didn't get overly excited to go, oh, geez, now we're down to Purdy. Well, we're in good shape. But they made it work, and he surprised everybody. And, you know, we could end up that way. Who knows? Only, only The only thing we know is down the road, we're going to discuss this and go, wow, we didn't see that coming. Or well, you the, may say, I did see that coming.
1: The um the offense that we should end up with considering who we hired and, and the background and all the stuff, the connections with the Rams and 49ers and all that, those are quarterback friendly offenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see Gene uh, Russell Wilson gets traded and his very first season anywhere else is by far his worst season ever. And then they go with Geno Smith and they spend the whole offseason telling everybody, no, Geno's good. You know, there's a competition with drew lock, but we're not just saying this Geno's actually good. We like him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out there and, and is fantastic. And, you know, that's obviously great when you think about the fact that his quarterback coach is now our offensive coordinator,
2: right. but
1: also just that this should be a very quarterback friendly offense. So that'll make the, if it's Kyle Trask, if it's somebody else, that'll make the transition a little easier. And maybe the offense will be more successful than a lot of people are imagining it will be right now.
3: Right. And it wasn't like Geno Smith was a, was a you know, everyone thought was an awesome elite quarterback. I mean, even though he, you know, he he got drafted high, it just didn't pan out.
1: He'd been a journeyman for like, like the previous eight years. It started like three games total in that span or five or something like that.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. But I guess it's like anything else. You know, if you get with the right system and the right coaches, that yep. brings the talent out.
1: So another topic, um, ESPN recently did its first power rankings for the 32 teams for 2023. And I know that those are silly. I'm about to,
3: uh, the the thud you hear is my head hitting the microphone. Go ahead.
1: Power rankings are silly, but I'll tell you this, everybody reads them just like mock drafts. Yeah. Everybody reads them. I know. I do. I I will say this. I do read them. Yeah. I don't usually read the power rankings because I think that's kind of silly. Just, Hey, we have standings for a reason, Mm -hmm. but um, I do read mock drafts a lot. But uh, anyway, this power ranking, all four teams in the NFC south or in the bottom 10 of their rankings so i mean if they're anywhere close to right this thing is wide open yeah you know there's a yeah. reason the buccaneers should be thinking hey we can win this division again with sure kyle trask or whoever else we bring in right right obviously complicating the factor is that the bucks don't know if they're going to lose some other players because of the salary cap situation if they're going to uh, be able to sign uh, anybody new it's not going to be easy. It'll get done because it has to get done. But you got to get from fifty-five million under the cap, over the yep. cap, to compliant by March fifteenth, and then you have to try to build up a little bit of cushion too to sign your draft picks and any other free agents or re-signing some of these guys.
3: Sure. Well, I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an off year. But I will say this: I, I am not disappointed that as an organization, the things that happen happen because. Uh, you know you won a super bowl and you won two nfc south division crowns so you and did what you class. yeah you did what you needed to do and now you know you put that one together and who who's not saying you can't put another one together
1: yeah that's the whole point right now you mm-hmm. you're not there at the moment but jason light and todd bulls and, and others get the opportunity to try to build it up and it won't be the same it'll be different which is mm-hmm. what they said yesterday yep. in fact both both Todd, this I'm talking about. They're at the combine, and most of the coaches and GMs go to the podium for 15 minutes for the media on Tuesdays at the combine. And uh, they both did, and they both said very, very similar things along the lines of We still have short term goals and we still want to compete for the division title, but we're not going to do things to sacrifice our long term goals. And we think we can do both at the same time. But they are thinking about the fact that it could. It could take a look, we don't know. Maybe we'll be right back in the playoffs and maybe everything will be awesome, but it could take a while mm-hmm. to build back up to the point where you're on the cusp of it where you were in 20 2020. And then after you win the Super Bowl, you basically sell out to keep going by re-signing everybody and backloading a bunch of contracts, which is why the Bucks are in the cap situation they are now. This is not a surprise. Yeah. The Bucks didn't wake up and go, Oh my God, how did this happen? They knew this was gonna happen, but it was the price of doing business to keep all those players and to keep the team playoff caliber for three years in a row. And especially, especially as long as Tom Brady was here. Right. Sure. So, um, you, you want to get back to that point where you are, okay, now we're on the cusp again. Now it's time to start selling all out again. I, and I'm fine with that. Yeah.
3: And I, you know what, I think the disappointment of last year was that the expectations were so high as they should be. And I think the expectations are going to be, you know, to, to win. Of course, you always go in with that. But I think that people are going to be a little more acceptable or accepting of uh, some growing pains. And that's what we're going to have. We're going to have some growing pains. Um, But I'm all in. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to see who we end up with and how it all pans out. And that's going to be the fun part during the offseason.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, we haven't done well to stick with this subject for a minute. What do you think all the teams in this division are going to do about the quarterback position? Because there's nobody in this division. There's no team in this division no. that should feel like they're set right now.
3: Well, as I look at the, uh, at my monitor, my TV monitor on the NFL network channel right now, looking underneath it, uh, I keep seeing Derek Carr met with the Panthers. He's meeting with the saints, uh, uh, met with the jets all in all. um,
1: I think the Panthers are most likely out of that. Yeah,
3: I I th- I think Derek Carr is going to end up in the NFC South. I really do. I don't know which which team, but I think he ends up in the South.
1: The Panthers are more in a position to do this because the Saints have a horrible cap situation too and Derek Carr is going to want 35-40 million dollars per year. Uh, you know, and the Panthers have an owner who made it clear as soon as he bought that team that the number one goal was to find the quarterback, and they've been and, trying to do that.
3: And and I'll say they've been going through the quarterbacks trying to find them. They've been trying, yeah.
1: And uh it hasn't really worked out. No. Um, now Derek Carr, I know Derek Derek Carr has his critics and his and people that like him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm probably about in the middle, but I think the criticism sometimes is a little strong. If you look at his numbers, there he's had some pretty darn good seasons, and you, you get Sam Darnold. He hadn't been very good in um in with the Jets. He just was a very high pick. And you before that you tried Teddy Bridgewater. And you know, he never really had a huge amount of success, thanks in part to an early knee injury in his career. Well, but he
3: did have success with uh with the Saints when Drew Brees went down. Bit, and that's yeah. and that's what made him valuable. But still, that
1: was like five games.
3: Correct. But it was um, five wins in a row. So that kind of uh boosted the
1: uh yeah. But my point is Derek Carr has been playing for what? eight, nine years, something like that. And something like that. Been pretty good, pretty consistent producer throughout. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could say the Carolinas, okay, we tried the trades. Well, they also tried Baker Mayfield, right? Mayfield,
3: yeah. And so
1: he hadn't, he'd had some success early in his career. I think his second season was pretty good, but overall kind of fell apart there. And, and don't forget they early. brought
3: Cam back because they thought that was going to work too. Yeah,
1: Now Cam obviously had a great track record of success mm-hmm. there, but I think he was kind of washed by that point. Um, so Derek Carr is a little bit of a different animal that uh, you could say you'd say that the Panthers have already tried this this uh bringing a veteran thing several times and it hasn't really worked out uh so they should probably focus on um you know getting a quarterback in this draft even if they mm-hmm. have to trade up a little bit I think right. they're at nine um they could probably get Anthony Richardson at nine but they would probably have to trade up for any of the other three um instead of doing that they can sit there and get some more help for whoever their quarterback is at nine. They don't have to trade and give up any other assets and they can, if they sign Derek Carr, they can just go that way.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. Or I, you I, sign Derek I,
1: Carr, you structure the contract so that you can get out of it after a season or two without some big, huge penalty. And you you do draft a quarterback if he falls to you at nine.
3: But that's a lot of money. That's like $40 million. For, that's a, that's a lot of so your quarterbacks cap. cost now. I know, but geez, you better be sure you can't miss.
1: That's what they want now, though, man. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's kind of crazy when you look at it, is that Tom Brady was playing for like 20, 25 mil, and yeah. other guys are getting 40. So it's
1: crazy. But I knew how it worked. Sure. Sure. But um, and then you got the Saints. If if it's my guess that car ends up in Charlotte, then obviously he's not gonna up in New Orleans. Andy Dalton is a free agent. I kind of doubt mm-hmm. they bring him back. They still have Jameis Winston under contract for one more year, but I think they made it pretty clear last year that. They don't think he's the answer because he got back from his injury and they just, it's not like Dalton was lighting the place up. They didn't put right. him in there. That's all they got. Unless you consider Taysom Hill a quarterback, which I don't think they do anymore. So they're going to be in the market, but they don't have a lot of cap space, at least at the moment. And then you got the the Falcons who could consider themselves set at the position because they spent a third round pick on Ritter. And then they started him last year. They eventually, and they, at and the they end. just cut Marcus Mariota too. So they clearly are going with Ritter going into his second season. But I don't think it's smart to assume that Ritter's going to work out. For their sakes, you know, I hope they're optimistic that it will. I don't know if we know that yet, right?
3: Well, you don't, and it's kind of the same situation we're in. You yeah. know, we spent a second round pick for Kyle Trask, and we don't know what we don't know what we don't have. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go the other way with it, and I, I do like the fact that you know it's competition, so you have to bring people in. And it's, you know, you got a fair shake at it. And, you know, let's let's be honest here. Um, Kyle was not going to play many games with Tom Brady here.
1: Right. Yeah. Everybody knew that. Yeah. And especially because we had the, the preferred Tom Brady backup on the roster, too, with Blaine Gabbert. So Correct. So nobody nobody expected Kyle to play these last two years. No,
3: no. But I do like the fact that uh, Todd and and um, and Jason both said they liked Kyle's work ethic. They liked how, even though he wasn't the guy or whatever, he was doing what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Apparently
1: that also extends to like, um, re-sculpting his body a little bit. You know, maybe he's a little bit leaner. They say he moves better now than Mm -hmm. when he came out of college. So that's good. He's got an arm. There's no Mm -hmm. question about that. He had a lot of success at Florida. Um, so, you know, it's worth finding out as, as Jason Light said yesterday at the podium, we didn't spend a second round pick to try to get a third string quarterback. You know, we spent a second round pick because we thought he could be something.
3: I'm glad he's, he's. I'm glad he's thinking that way.
1: And now he. And now is the first time that Kyle is going to get extended time with mm-hmm. the other starters. So the that's first when you'll yes. finally find out. Yes. Right.
3: Right. Right. Right now, it's going to be up to him to be able to pick up the playbook, and so it's going to be a little bit of a learning process
1: because everybody has to learn. That's probably in playbook. his favor, right? He's not—he's not going to be behind. I would think so. Yes. So, agree. whatever other quarterbacks we bring in, everybody's going to be starting at at the ground level zero. Yeah, learning it together. Yep. All right. Well, that's right. the quarterback situation in the NFC South. Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't done one of these since the Super Bowl. I know. Any reactions to the Super Bowl? I would say I feel the same way that pretty much everybody does. It was an awesome game. It was. That because of that ill-timed but correctly called penalty. Agree. At the end, the last couple of minutes were not nearly as exciting as it looked like they were shaping up to be. Which right. was a shame. It wasn't yeah. wrong, but it was no. a shame.
3: No, and I, and I agree. It was the right call. It's too bad that it happened when it happened. But if you would look at that same situation clockwise- but let's just say they were 10 points behind and they needed to score, get the ball back and try to score again. If you don't call that holding call, people would be in an uproar over it. So I think, I think what got people more upset wasn't so much the call, it was the situation, you know, but I, but if it's a holding penalty, it's a holding penalty. And I think you, you said it to me that if you don't call it, you're letting the other
1: team cheat. Yeah, the, if they know it's not going to be called, then they're going to be holding. Same sure. thing with the offensive and defensive linemen.
3: Right. So, I, think yeah, the,
1: I The refs have a hard job. We all know that. Oh, yeah, and, no question. But they have to focus on, if they're looking at something and they see a penalty, you throw the flag. You're not thinking what the situation is, which team needs it more. You mm-hmm. just, oh, I see a penalty, I throw the flag. Now, as viewers... We can understand that there's nothing wrong with the process, but still wish it hadn't happened, yeah, because the last couple of minutes would have been more exciting. However, I personally was reading for the Chiefs being a right. former chief employee, yeah, so I didn't mind too much.
3: well, the thing was is it wasn't so much that his arm was around him what what got him in trouble was that when the jersey comes pulls yeah. out from you that's yeah, you yeah. got an issue there, so
1: <laughs> yeah when the guy <laughs> has gone past you, yeah, you're behind him, and the jersey's coming out in your hand, yeah. Yeah, it's
3: pretty it's, it's pretty obvious, but it was it was good and uh um it made me feel even better uh about the Buccaneers Super Bowl win over the Kansas City Chiefs because uh to hold them to nine points is pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah, well, the obvious and important reason or the difference between those two games is that Kansas City had offensive line injuries coming mm-hmm. into this, our Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and if that was the reason or if it, Also, that we just played really, really well, like Shaq and and Sue and all them. Uh, We harassed uh, Patrick Mahomes all day. Yes. I mean, he still made some unbelievable plays, but that was the difference. In this game, whether it was a combination of the field conditions, the subpar field conditions, which all the players complained about afterwards, or that Kansas City's offensive line has improved quite a bit in the last couple of years, they didn't sack him once. This team had 70 sacks in the regular season Philadelphia, third most in a season in NFL history, and they didn't sack him once. They barely touched him.
3: You know, you you brought up the field conditions. I uh, was reading an article about that, that um, the thought is that the reason why the field was so slick was they watered it on Wednesday, and then they rolled it in. They didn't really let it dry out which, which isn't the real problem. The problem was they put a tarp over it and hold it in so that when they were, um, practicing half time and all that, all that other hoopla that goes on the field, um, it kind of kept all the moisture in there and it, it started to get like mildewy. That's why it had a funky smell to it, it as an cool. interesting, yeah. Um, so, because that's real grass, you know, they, they, they slide it in and
1: slide it out, but, um. Now, those were all the opinions, if I'm not wrong, of George Toma, the legendary yes. The yes. legendary field, NFL field guy. And Correct. He's like 93 years old. Yeah,
3: the sod father. Yes. The
1: sod father. Uh, a little bit of that, as I read some of that article too, a little bit of that felt a little bit like finger pointing to me. Yeah. Because he was the one in charge, and he was this expert, and then it yeah. all goes wrong. He's like, well, it wasn't my fault. It's because they did this.
3: Yeah. And well, know, but man. who's who's, you know. Apparently, well, when we played, when we played on Christmas Eve or rather Christmas Day, uh, the field was slick. If you re- yeah. if you remember,
1: I do. Yeah, I think
3: it's just that turf. I mean, it's just. But if you know going in there that the turf is going to be slight you're going to be sliding around. Then you need I don't think change. they did
1: know that. I don't think they did know that.
3: Well, I think Kansas City played there in the beginning of the year, and they were saying that it was it was slick at that stadium. So
1: not as bad as Germany, though, right? No. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <No. laughs> but they do that because of a soccer ball, or the the
1: right, so it slides and doesn't just not stop my, in the mud. Other than the whole how it ended thing and the fact that both Mahomes and and um, Jalen Hurts were fantastic, mm-hmm. my biggest takeaway from that game is I was waiting for Andy Reid to break out some trick play. Right. Something we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. It kind of didn't happen, but it sort of, he had one really fiendish play design that I had never seen before. And it's, you probably know what I'm talking about the two short touchdown passes. Right. It's just brilliant film study, is what that is. Because the reason those work now, if anybody didn't see or doesn't remember, there's a receiver split out wide to one side. He starts to go in motion. And at that point, the defense, and they had figured out that the defense was going to do this, they start switching off. So the guy that was covering him no they don't want to they don't want to follow him it's not a, it's right. not man it's a zone so right. he he turns I mean, the guy that's on him immediately turns around and points to another guy and they all start shifting who they're responsible for while he's turned around doing this the dude just turns around and goes back the other direction and he's wide open and right. it's brilliant and mm-hmm. it's it's first of all it's being creative because I've never seen that before nope. and then as soon as it happens you're like that was a really good, but also sort of obvious idea. Why didn't anybody think of this before? And somebody's probably done it somewhere, but I don't well, remember ever seeing You're
3: going to see a lot this year. You'll see it a lot this year. But and then,
1: um, well, defenses are going to have to be aware. You yeah. can't turn your back on the guy. You could start switching off, but you got to be ready to switch back. And they just assumed he was going to keep going all the way across. Mm-hmm. And then they did it again, and it worked both times.
3: Well, the thing too is, if they don't bite on it, it's a running play. Oh yeah. It turns right. into it turns into a running play. So, so if he really doesn't,
1: no- yeah, if he doesn't bite
3: then okay we're going to run it
1: yeah it's, and then Mahomes says as soon as the play starts he's like oh no, I know we got him yeah but that yeah. is that uh, that's another brilliant part of that play design mm-hmm. because you you have a way out of being in a bad position because if, if he doesn't bite then it's that guy's not open but you have another option sure that's that is very very smart I love yeah. that that was my favorite part of the Super Bowl I,
3: I, I agree I agree with that and and I thought halftime was pretty good too I, I thought it was that, fine yeah. I mean
1: Rihanna's fantastic sure and, All those songs are great. I like all of them. But until she got to the very end with, I think, Umbrella and Mm, one other big one, I don't remember. uh, Then she was really belting those out. To me, the rest of it all sounded the same, no matter Mm -hmm. what song she was singing. Right. It was all the same. Those floating platforms were cool as hell. Very. Yeah, very much and then so. the little sort of reveal that she was pregnant was cool. Yeah. Tease. Well, yeah,
3: you spent the first five minutes. You think she's pregnant? I don't know. Do you think she's pregnant? She looks like she's pregnant, or is it just the outfit? No, I don't think it's the outfit. I think she is pregnant. Yeah. The, those were the conversations to... that happened during the during those yes. times.
1: And then as soon as the Super Bowl ended, they they put out that yes, she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. That was that and was that was a neat little part of it, but I wasn't overwhelmed by the performance. I'm not I'm not slagging on Rihanna at all. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. I just some people were going crazy about this, like it was the greatest halftime show they'd ever seen. I'm like Yeah. All
3: right. It was fine. I I you know what I think that's like anything else. It's it's the halftime show. Everybody wants to critique it. Everybody has to go, oh, this is bad. This is you know. I think they're all good in their own way, you know. It's just not for everybody.
1: Well, what I'll tell else? you this, Jeff. We're doing this on Zoom because uh we we wanted we didn't want to make Rhonda come in here or ask right. her to come in here, but you and I are sitting next door to each other right now yes. and We're, i can hear you through the wall <laughs> yeah. so my point is i'm here in tampa in my office and i'm not in indy at the combine for the first right. time in probably at least a decade if not more and yes I, i'm so I, happy not to go i am
3: yours. surprised that you're not there well i really am
1: we had another option and we right. we sent brie right so it's her first opportunity to to experience that event she's out there covering it doing a great job so uh i didn't need to go And Casey wasn't going to be there so we weren't going to do any videos right so um it was just you're, an opportunity
3: you're becoming like the head coaches now you're just going to watch it on tv and be ready <laughs> to go you don't
1: have to be there anymore i do think we were talking about this you know a couple coaches decided not to go and i thought maybe what they say they want to stay at their offices and work on you know getting ready for the, yeah. the draft or free agency or their yep. their offseason program but i wondered if someone were like if i don't go then i don't have to do media day But then I find out that they don't really have to Mm -mm. and that a couple more coaches than usual decided not to do it this year. Right. It sounds like a trend to me because if I'm a head coach and I don't, if I like doing it fine or if I'm fine with it, fine. But if I don't really like doing it and I look around and go, well, those five guys didn't do it. Why do I have to do it? Yeah. I think, I think a
3: lot of it is, um, how much you need to get your club in the forefront Yeah. and how much are you trying to sell your agenda?
1: Okay. That's fair. That's That's kind of, some of the coaches and GMs could see this as a very helpful platform whereas okay. some of them would see it as a nu- as a nuisance. Yeah.
3: So this year, so this year Sean Payton did it as the new head coach of the Broncos. Now we'll see next year if he does it. Right. Because you know, this year he he wanted to get in front of it of being the new head coach and Russell Wilson and yeah. Kumbaya moments right now, you know, <laughs> they have a lot of campfires in Denver, so it'll be awesome.
1: <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. I don't got anything I, else unless you I, do.
3: I really don't. I really I mean, don't. The
1: whole point of this was talk to Ronda, so this yes. is all fluff. But I do have two questions. Okay, let's so go I to. Do, one. I, I do like to try to get to all questions. There's not much in the mailbox because we haven't been, done this. We yeah. haven't really been doing it since the end of the season. So, um, this one is from a, and these are two new people, which is cool because we tend to have some guys that mm-hmm. that send us a lot. But I don't, think I, remember, I don't remember. I don't remember these names at all. This one is from a Richard. Tara Oka from San Gabriel, California. I probably did not pronounce that last name right. He says, hello, Salty Nears. Now that our season is done and the Super Bowl is among us, I think he probably means behind us. Sure. A lot of us fans are starting to look towards the draft. The last time we picked at 19th overall, we selected tight end OJ Howard. I can't help but think that throughout the NFL draft history, who were some notable players that were picked at 19th overall? I understand there's a chance we trade back or up. So this question may not be relevant by the, by the time we make our first selection this year. I just want to have hope that if we are picking at 19, he becomes a Hall of Famer. Hope you're all doing well. Love the Salty Dogs Tampa 2 collaboration.
3: Oh, I like yeah, that.
1: That was fun. If anybody yeah. missed that one, Casey and, and Bree of the Tampa 2 podcast joined us for our, our last Salty Dogs. And we kind of had like a mashup podcast. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. I want to do it again. So, Jeff, you got that off the top of your head? Who you are some of the mm-hmm. 19th round picks? I you mean, 19th overall. I, I I will admit that I was sh- short last week or the week before on mailbag questions for the website. So I just grabbed this one uh-huh. and, and wrote about it. So I've got the answer right in front of me. There are three plus since, since the 19th. pick now this, became,
3: now, this is for us or for the NFL? Everybody. Oh, OK.
1: The only time we've ever picked 19th exactly is the one that Richard mentions, OJ Howard. We were scheduled to pick 19th in 2009, but moved up two spots to get Josh Freeman. Mm -hmm. Since the first-round pick, since 19th overall became part of the first round, because you know, if there were only 18 teams, then 19th would be a second-round pick, right? Right. So that was my cutoff from 1967 on. It's been a first-round pick, and there have been three Hall of Famers picked at 19th overall. Roger Worley by the Cardinals. uh, That was in... 1969 mm-hmm. roger worley a great cornerback had a lot of picks 40 career interceptions not as many as Rondé barber next uh in 2000 and, he went into the hall of fame in 2007 in 1998 the vikings picked randall mcdaniel who finished his career that's pretty strong yeah uh he went to the hall of fame in 2009 and then in 19 and also in 1996 uh the colts picked marvin harrison Wow. The 19th overall pick. And he went into Canton in 2016. So none of them went in their very first year of eligibility. So it was hard to pick which one was the best one, but there've been three hall of famers The the best one probably recently was just a couple of years ago when Tennessee took Jeffrey Simmons, uh, the defensive tackle, even though at the time for Mississippi state, even though at the time he was injured and they knew he wasn't going to play at least halfway through the season, they still spent the 19th round pick on him and, uh, And and over the last two years, he has 16 sacks and 30 quarterback hits from an interior defensive lineman. That's really good production. And he's been in the Pro Bowl each of those two years. So that's probably the best one lately. Nice, Uh, Yeah. So you can definitely get We can get a good player at any spot in the draft. Oh, yeah. um, You remember the running back, Sean Alexander for the Seahawks? I I do. He was he was a 19th. Otis Wilson, the great Bears linebacker. Uh, There's been some quality players. Yeah, some pretty good players. The weirdest part of the whole thing, do you Do you know who Jack, Jack Tatum is? Yeah. You know what he's most famous or infamous for? Uh, stick him. Uh, no, for the hit on Daryl Stingley from the yes. Patriots in, in the preseason yeah, game, game that led it, to Stingley's paralysis. Correct, correct. The weird thing about that, it's a coincidence, it's not something to celebrate or anything, but Jack Tatum was the 19th overall pick, and so was Daryl Stingley. Wow. Two years later. Gee, 19, I didn't know that. Yep. Fight
3: there's for the Raiders. Bust,
1: there's been some bust. Kyle Bowler, the Ravens tried to him, quarterback some years ago. Paul Palmer, running back for the Chiefs, never did much. But uh, it, I went down the whole list. It's been mostly pretty good players like Casey Hampton, Jeremy Macklin, Shaq Lawson, Prince of Macamora, You know, some good Antonio Cromartie. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That answers that question. That's a good one. This is also to Salty Dogs right. um, from Ken, his last name, it starts with V, just abbreviated from Gainesville. Hey, dogs, hoping we, we get some off-season podcasts. Come on, guys. There's the draft, there's free agency, there's new coaches, plenty to talk about. All anyway, well, I don't... we got you, Randy Barber. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, uh, that's go. another one. Anyway, I don't know when you're doing your next show, but I'm sending in a question now because I'm inspired by Mr. Barber getting into the Hall of Fame. It took a little bit longer than I would have liked for Lynch and Barber to make it, but they did make it. And now, well, who do we turn our attention to now? I don't mean to be greedy after four guys in the last 10 years or so, but the more the bucks in the hall, the better. Right. So who's next? If anyone. Thanks, guys. And that's Ken. And then he has a little PS that says give Kyle a trask. Of course, this guy's. Is- yeah from Gainesville so yeah he's
3: gonna be really excited if things go the way he's hoping yeah we got <laughs> one you guy what,
1: man that that Florida fan base will come out in sure. rows if Kyle yes. Trask is successful
3: yes no question no question
1: yeah uh, you, you know you tweet something about Kyle Trask it gets traction mm-hmm. it's from the Gators. Well, sure fans.
3: well yeah because the Gators want him to do well because then they can go na
1: na 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 to the <laughs> FSU fans so you know I mean the answer to this one is pretty obvious right who's the next buccaneer to go into the hall i
3: i would have to say simeon rice
1: are you forgetting a, a man named tom brady
3: uh see i i i don't even think that's a thought process that's an automatic i but, know
1: but who's next in
3: right so but actually it, but it, when you when you go when you uh let's go down the road 10 15 years from now And you go, Tom Brady, are you going to go, oh, great
1: Patriots quarterback? Are you going to go, oh, wow, what a great Buccaneer quarterback? I'm just answering the question as it's presented.
3: Yes, but I'm just Who's the next
1: Buccaneer to go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, okay. But it's actually probably not going to be him because Rob Gronkowski retired a year earlier. Oh, yes. So he'd be eligible in 2027. I I mistakenly
3: misheard the question. And it's like, who will be the next one in rather than who should be the next one Yeah. So I miss, I miss, okay, I, miss so it, it'll I miss probably heard.
1: now you could still be right. If Simeon got in, cause he's mm-hmm. already eligible. Right. But I think he's deserving. I do too. There was like a 10 year stretch when he led the league in sacks that, that alone should get him in. He has like 122 sacks, but I know from experience that he just doesn't get any traction. It's, this isn't for the ring of honor, which at no. some point should be, a, a, a you know, a lock, right. Uh, that, There'll be plenty of traction for that, but he he wasn't even being included years ago when he first became eligible in the original like hundred person list that they put out in September, mm-hmm. and then we got him on that by nominating him, and then like a year later he made it all the way to the semis. We tried to do as much of a push as we could, putting out yeah. articles and stuff, but then he subsequently dropped off, and he's not even making it to the semis anymore, and he's never made it to the finalist stage. So it doesn't matter if I think he's deserving just looking at the landscape and, you know, like we thought Rondé was deserving and we're irritated. It took a while, but he right. kept making it as a finalist. Same yeah. thing with John Lynch. So yep. that told us that the voters realized that these two guys were, they were already there, decided just they're depending deserving.
3: On, yeah. Just depending on who was coming in and where they were at. Yeah.
1: But if, yeah. He, if, Sim, if a player in this case, Simeon is never even being voted to the final stage, then after all this time, I don't think it's going to happen. Right. You could say similar things about Mike Allstott. Hmm. You know, all time Buccaneer great, right? Probably should be getting at least some consideration for the Hall of Fame. No, but I mean, that's he man. scored so many touchdowns, went to right. six Pro Bowls, but it's pretty clear at this point that that's not going to happen. So, uh, the so if you want to, you know, Gronk and and Brady yeah. are the easiest, obvious answers. But if you Fair look a little bit down the road, I think then the next most obvious answer is Mike Evans, right?
3: Yeah. Yes.
1: He yeah. How is, can you not?
3: I mean. I don't know. It's, How many it's, straight years of a thousand yards receiving every year? He's played. Yeah, with different quarterbacks.
1: He I mean, that's. I still think though that he needs a few more decent seasons for his stats to be where they need to be when mm-hmm. they start when the voters start looking at it. You know, obviously, if you keep getting a thousand yards every season, then your your stats are going to eventually be pretty darn good. But right now, he ranks forty fifth in NFL history with ten thousand four hundred twenty five receiving yards, and he's tied for thirtieth with his touchdown catches Mm -hmm. i got the number written down here wrong but it's he's tied for 30th i'm not sure that gets done yet because there's other players above him on both lists that Mm -hmm. are not being voted in but a couple more decent seasons it's not he doesn't have to even keep having thousand yard seasons to get to 1300 let's say Mm 1300 receiving yards 20 players had that so far 12 are already in the fall in the mm-hmm. hall, and the only one who is eligible it, but who is not in the Hall of Fame is Henry Ellert. So,
3: it, is that thirteen thousand or thirteen hundred?
1: If I said thirteen hundred, I misspoke. I meant thirteen thousand. Okay. And um there are, if he played five more years, he would only have to average five hundred fifteen yards per season to get to thirteen thousand. So, I think thirteen thousand is very much in sight. Mm-hmm. I do. There, too. I I agree. He's got. Well, I think he's got like seventy. God, I can't believe I can't remember something my top of my head, but something like seventy-five or seventy-six or seventy-eight touchdown catches. I wrote it down wrong here. That's why, because I wrote down thirty-one. I know it's a hell hell's a lot more than thirty-one. Right. Um, so he's he can get to ninety-eight. He can get to ninety pretty easily, right? He probably needs like twelve or fourteen more.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And if he, he you you could do that in three seasons pretty easily. You might do it next season or in two seasons, but three seasons, I gotta believe he gets to ninety. I think he'll play three more seasons. So there are 13 players in NFL history with at least 90 touchdown catches and 10 are already in the Hall of Fame. The other 3 just aren't eligible yet and they're Antonio Gates, Larry Fitzgerald and Rob Gronkowski. Those guys are obviously all going in. Maybe even all first ballot, right? Right. So you get to 90 touchdown catches, you're in the Hall. That's yeah. just the way it's been. And I right. think he's going to get there. So I do think Mike has a very good chance of ending up in the Hall of Fame and that would I, be my answer.
3: Yeah, I would go with that. I like that. All right. All That's right. all I got. Good. Well, that was a lot of fun. It's good to do one before then. I don't know if we'll do one before the draft. Maybe after the draft.
1: You know, after the draft, know.
3: we'd have a lot more to talk about. Yeah, maybe that's what we'll do.
1: We'd still be speculating before the draft.
3: Well, maybe what we'll do is after the draft, and then we can talk about the uh, different people that we have brought into the organization. That type. Of thing. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks, right.
1: uh, thanks for your time, Jeff. And yep. obviously, that was exciting to get Ronde on here. So the best. Um, yeah, All right. We love you. All right,
3: since you did, thanks for listening.